now I'm supposed to pray. Posture our hearts to be pure and holy and righteous before you. We ask that you would position our spirit, Lord, to be in alignment and in tune with the Holy Spirit, to be receptive to the word that Jason brings forth this morning. Lord, we ask that as we leave today, in our lives and manifest in our homes, our marriages, our workspace, our families, our children. So Lord, today we want to pray in just adoration, God, to who you are. Adoration transforms our petitions before you. So I want to read Psalms 138 in reverence and adoration and worship to the Lord. I thank you, Lord, and with all the passion of my heart, I worship you in the presence of angels. Heaven's mighty ones will hear my voice as I sing my loving praise to you. I bow down before your divine presence and I bring you my deepest worship as I experience your tender love and amazing truth. For your word and the fame of your name have been magnified above all else. At the very moment I called out to you, you answered me. You strengthened me deep within my soul and breathed fresh courage into me. One day all the kings of the earth will rise to give you thanks when they hear the living words that I have heard you speak. They too will sing of your wonderful ways. For your ineffable glory and great is great. For though you are lofty and exalted, you stoop to embrace the lowly. Yet you keep your distance from those filled with pride. By your mighty power, I can walk through any devastation, and you will keep me alive, reviving me. Your power set me free from the hatred of my enemies. You keep every promise you've ever made to me. Since your love for me is constant and endless, I ask you, Lord, to finish every good thing that you have begun in me.
rejoiced and worshiped and adored you on the day of your birth and literally lit up the sky and the heavens. God, we pray that our worship and adoration would not just be a spark, but be a flame down here seen from your throne in the heavens. We ask these things in the wonderful, powerful, beautiful, precious name of Jesus, the Lamb of God. morning. It's so good to be with you here this morning. If you are a child and you're supposed to be in the children's ministry, now's a good time to get there. And if you're a parent who hasn't checked in that child, you should probably go with them. No, I believe the ages might be on the screen here. Um, if you, Our children's ministry is upstairs for age-appropriate time for them to fall deeper in love with Jesus and so um, go with our blessing for sure. Well, it's, uh, it's wonderful for, for me to be here and, uh, and speaking for you this morning. Um, I just want to say thank you uh, to the ladies who ran the biscuit bar this morning. I don't know if you didn't, if you didn't catch it, it was delicious, so thank you for, for that. That was really, really great. And I just wanted to give you a reminder that um, our, our coffee ministry is back. It happens right back here behind the stage. Uh, there are doors on either side, and so if you get here early, you can grab a, a cup of coffee and have a little bit of time of fellowship with with some people um, before you come back in here into the sanctuary. So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, I also want to remind you that on September 11th, that is next Sunday, uh, our kids' ministry and the evenings will kick back off again, and that will start from 5.30 to 7.30. And so we'll have both youth and kids will be from 5.30 to 7.30 uh, starting next week. Um, also, uh, on the 18th, the next Sunday, uh, we will have a child dedication and so if you're interested in um, having your child dedicated to the Lord, if you don't know what that is, if you want to have more conversations about that, by all means, find me, find AJ, uh, somebody on staff here at the church, and we would love to, love to talk to you more about that. Um, also, on that, that same uh, Sunday, uh, we will have a, uh, a new members luncheon. And so if you're interested in what uh, our church is about, uh, kind of some of the history of the church. If you are interested in membership at all, uh, I would encourage you to sign up for the new members lunch in the lobby. We'll, we will provide you lunch, uh, but we need to know that you're coming so that we'll have lunch for you. So um, by all means, sign up for that, and uh, we'd love to have a nice full room. Um, and in addition to that, again on the 18th, if your kids are in kids ministry and, uh, or, or in the youth ministry and you're looking for something to do, um, our, our financial series is going to kick off. Uh, Larry Winters is doing a, a three-week series um, talking about biblical responsibility with our finance, finances. And so um, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, we also would love for you to sign up for that as well so that we can accommodate which room we're going to have it in and, and all of the details and, and resources that he would like to provide for that. So, so please sign up for that as well. And then finally, on September on Saturday, September 24th, um, we have a, a women's event, and there is a sign-up yet again for that in the lobby. <laughs> um, there is a craft involved with that. The cost is $10. You can come and not do the craft, and it is absolutely free. Um, but absolutely, if you're a lady, please sign up for that in the lobby and, and check out the option. Okay? Done with that. 
So uh, if you know me very well, you know that I'm a little bit of a comic book, uh, comic uh, superhero nerd, and I'm going to prove it to you this morning. Because um, as I was prepping this sermon, um, I, I just kept remembering this really old superhero from my childhood, and his name was The Shadow. Does anybody recognize The Shadow? Uh, there's a picture of him up there. Yeah, The Shadow knows, right? And there's a, this is not an endorsement for the movie because it's been probably 20 years since I've seen it, but there is a movie starring Alec Baldwin with a prosthetic nose playing the shadow from about 1997. And, uh, and, and the, but the, the thing that kept coming back to mind is his catchphrase. And, and the catchphrase is, who knows what evil lurks inside the hearts of men? The shadow knows. Ooh, you know, it was kind of spooky. So he was like a, a, an anti-hero. He actually started as a radio program, and he was very much a precursor to Batman, um, and it's set in the 1930s, and so it's really kitschy and fun. But... Um, but who knows what evil lurks inside the hearts of men. We're going to talk about that quite a bit today. We're, 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 the, the title of this message is, Whose Heart Is This? Right? Who's, who, who has possession of my heart? And we're going to focus a lot on the heart. And um, if, there, if, if there's any ladies in the room, if you want to absolutely terrify your man, just over lunch, after the, after the service, just lean over to him and, and just say, How's your heart? And he will be absolutely shaking in his boots, okay? Because because it's 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 there's no way to, better way to scare somebody when the, with those three words, you know? How's your heart? It's it's an invitation to vulnerability, right? An invitation to vulnerability. But there's also it's not just an invitation. There's an expectation that he knows the answer, right? And so there's an invitation to vulnerability. There's an expectation that you don't that you know the answer. And a lot of us don't know. We may not know how our hearts are. And so when I tell you today that we're talking about the heart and it's an essential role in a believer's life and to establish some rhythms of, of heart maintenance and heart care, like believe me when I say that, that my heart is anxious about this, right? Because it's talking about the heart, I'm going to be vulnerable with you and, and you're going to expect that I know the status of my heart right? And so it, this, this is a two-way street here. And, but, but don't fall into the lie of thinking that exploring the heart and understanding our heart in a biblical sense is not for you. Being well acquainted with our hearts uh, doesn't feel manly sometimes. Being, being a guy who is in touch with, with what's going on, is, with, it, with what's in our hearts, it just sometimes doesn't feel manly. But, but Jesus' example to us and how he navigated the hearts of the people around him should motivate us otherwise, okay? And so this is not a, an, an admonition for me to tell you to really get in touch with your feelings or get in touch with your feminine side if you're a guy, okay? So you can, you can kind of chill out a little bit. But I, I, want to, I want to dive into how God has designed you specifically with the passions that he has endowed to you, uh, with the desires inside of you, and, and, and with the sin that you carry with you and how he wants you to manage that. Like, there is a calling that God has placed on your heart, 
and there's some unlocking that we might need to do this morning in order to help you discover some of that stuff. And so I want to see us come out of here more passionate for his kingdom, uh, more, more passionate about advancing his kingdom as, as warriors in his army who are, who are, who are, uh, who are our identity in our hearts is known to us and sure. Okay, so that's my goal this morning. But this kind of feels, uh, for some people, it might feel like uncharted territory. Going into your own heart might feel a little bit scary because we're scared of the unknown. That's just pretty natural. But our deepest desires in life are rooted inside of our heart, and they are, they are, our deepest desires are really to be fully known and fully loved. That's what, we, that's what most people want in this earth is to be known and to be loved. And if you can't get one, you'll go after the other. If you can't be fully known by people, then you'll, you'll chase after love. And if you can't be loved by people, then you will overflow on trying to be fully known by people. And so God is the only one who can fully know us and fully understand us, and yet he fully loves us. In fact, our marriages are, are an example of why this heart stuff is really important. Because if you think about marriage on the heart level, somebody is, is choosing to, to be with you, choosing to love you as you expose the vulnerable parts of your life to them, whether or not you want to. Like when you agree in marriage, to, to, if you, when you agree to, to dedicate your life to being walking in a faithful marriage with somebody, you're agreeing that, that no matter what comes, the person that you are now and the person that you will be as God changes you and, and as you change throughout the course of your life, you're, you're choosing to know more and more and more of that person and then choose to love them as well. And so the more that we can navigate our hearts, the better our marriages can be. Our hearts are living and changing, and, and it's, something that, it's not something that we can just do a bunch of work one time and then just leave it, right? This is, this is like a constant rhythm of life that you are being invited into, a lifelong journey that God wants to take with you. And so we're not going to confuse this with, with self-help. We're not going to in, confuse this with just emotional maturity. But that being said, all truth, if it's true, it belongs to God. Okay? All truth is God's truth. And so there are some elements of what I'm going to say this morning that are going to feel kind of self-helpish. And there are some elements of what I'm going to say this morning that are going to feel like you need to uh, be growing in emotional maturity. But that's because there's some truth in there. And that truth also belongs to God. But we're going to use Scripture and the Bible in order to find those things, okay? And so what the Bible reveals to us in our hearts requires us to do some hard work. And that's something I'm going to say a lot, okay? This is going to be hard work. Understanding your heart is hard. It is work, and it is hard, and it's hard work, okay? It's not, but we haven't been called to an easy life. We've been called to an abundant life. Jesus died so that we could have life, and we could have it abundantly, but not, not easy, right? Abundant doesn't mean easy. And so 
the other thing I want to tell you is that the truth is impartial. All truth is God's truth. Some, for some of you, this is going to sound so easy. Some of the things I'm going to talk about are going to sound very, very simple, very easy to do. And to others of you, it's going to be terrifying. But it doesn't really matter where you are in your walk or where you are in your relationship with Christ. If God has called us to do it, even though it comes easier to some people, and even though it seems to come naturally to some or more difficult to others, it's still something that we are called to do as believers. And the point is, why are we diving into our hearts? It's because I want us to grow up. I want us to be mature in our faith. And I'm going to level with you. Over the past little while, we have strategically been um, doing messages in our church to try to establish, again, a sense of culture and and a sense of purpose and a sense of unified vision for our church. Tim has talked about why we do communion. He's talked about why we've we, why we gather together physically in one place. He's talked about why we sing. He's talked about why we give. He's, we've talked about all of this stuff. We're just establishing yet again because the last three years have been really crazy in our church. And, and praise the Lord, we've grown quite a bit in that time. But we need to come together and, and maybe like reintroduce ourselves. Hi, I'm Jason. I care a lot about Jesus. I want you to see him when you see me, Right? Like, that's where we are relationally with some people in this room and then other people we have this, this long history. And so what I want us to do is to, is to grow up in faith and grow up in maturity and excavate our hearts a little bit to uncover some sin and, and sinful motivations is, is the fastest way to do that uncovering your sin inside of your heart and sinful motivations is one of the fastest ways to grow in spiritual maturity because it makes us more like Christ. That's what the rest of our walk is about, is to become more like Jesus. We want to be like him. We want people to see us, see, see Jesus when they look at us. And so we're going to excavate our hearts a little bit this morning and uncover those sinful motivations. And so, I, and, and one of the reasons we do this biblically uh, is, is in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Even now you are not ready. We're going to do some grown-up work today. Okay, we're going to do some of the groundwork that it takes in order to not have this on us. We don't want to stay with just milk. I've got a, a baby here in the sanctuary right now, and she is, she is just now figuring out how to eat some solid food. And sometimes it goes well, and sometimes she makes a mess, right? And so this is going to be messy, all right? This is going to be messy, but, but we, I want your heart to be yearning for for more of Christ, more maturity, more depth in your relationship with God. And, and I want you to choose this morning that we're going to crush the easy route. Okay? And we're going to choose this morning that we're going we're gonna to do away with some comfort in order to become mature Christians. And, and I want you to understand that, that there are mysteries of God that, that you may not have even realized are there yet 
that you can have access to in a deeper relationship and deeper connection with Jesus. I want to be mature in Christ. I want to be a part of the kingdom that is dangerous to the enemy. I want to be on the SEAL Team 6 of the kingdom. Okay? And I want other people in my, my circle, in my sphere of influence, I want other people who I rub shoulders with to be next to me, not way behind me, stuck in the barracks. Okay? But I want to do some damage for the kingdom. And, and I believe that it, even if you're not there, the trajectory that you should be aiming for should be there. Okay? And, and I want to have the most abundant life I can here on this earth. And I believe that the, the person who has the most information on how to have that abundant life is Jesus himself. Because he has the most information on living because he's lived the longest, right? And so I want my life to look like his. I want to emulate him, and I want to be useful to the kingdom of God, even if that's not comfortable. And, and so I'm not going to give you a comfortable path, but I'll give you a path that leads to maturity. And so how is this path to maturity, and how is this path to an abundant life different than self-help? It's the focus. Self-help points to yourself. We are focusing on becoming like him, on pointing every part of our lives to Christ and having him and his glory and doing, doing the things that please him become our greatest joy. That's how this differs from, from self-help. And so, I want to remind you very briefly, I'm not going to have the, the verses on the screen for this because I'm going to reference whole sections of Scripture here. But I want to remind you briefly of, of some of the ways that Jesus addresses the heart in Scripture. And you need to be looking at this when you look at his life, okay? Okay. So uh, the first is Mark chapter 10, the story of the rich young ruler. And, and Jesus reveals, as he's talking to the rich young ruler, this guy comes to him and he says, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, sell everything. So what he was doing was he identified in his heart the thing that was an idol. That guy walked away knowing that in his heart he was breaking the first commandment. And he had said, I, I haven't sinned at all. I'm, I'm absolutely perfect. And Jesus just pokes with one little word to show him, in your heart, you've totally broken a commandment. And he follows it up with, come and follow me. Come and walk with me. And so put, remove the idol from your heart and put your faith in Jesus. Okay? John chapter 4, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. There's this lady who is, has been uh, unfaithful to many husbands. She is at the well at an untimely time of day in the heat of the day so that she doesn't have to be around any of the other people that she would normally associate with. And, and she's ashamed of herself, clearly. And Jesus walks up to her, and, and in the course of the conversation, in her words, she said, he told me everything that I had ever done. Jesus exposes her sin in a very gentle, in a very peaceful way, in a not confrontational way. Jesus exposes to her the depths of her sin. And, and then she is the one, because of the transformation 
because of the way that Jesus is able to speak to her heart, she is the one who then announces Jesus' presence as the Messiah to the very people that she was avoiding at the beginning of the chapter. She's the one who is suddenly bold in her faith and willing to stand up and say, this guy is the real deal. And it all happened because Jesus spoke to her heart. Last uh, example is in Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. Um, This parable, Jesus uses this story to simultaneously reveal his heart for the lost that, that those who, are, who think that they're the farthest away that they could ever be, the one who is closest to hell can still be saved and still receive grace, okay? But the point of the story, if you look at the context, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and they recognize that in Jesus' story, they are not the prodigal, but they are the older brother, who was supposed to welcome in the lost, who was supposed to go out and rescue the brother. That was their role. And so Jesus convicts them of their sin, and he does it through story. And so Jesus simultaneously shows his heart for for the lost, also shows the Pharisees that they were actively resisting the will of God and missing out on great joy, and he does it through a story. And so when we say we want to be like Jesus, that means a number of things when, when we look at these, um, these, these stories. It, it means that, that we're going to allow Jesus to poke at the things that are standing in the way of us building our faith. Okay? It means that we're going to allow God to reveal to us the depths of our sin. And then thirdly, in the prodigal son story, it's going to show us uh, ways in which we can um, look out at the people around us and, and, and shape story and shape context and shape conversation in such a way to reveal people's own hearts to them, to help brothers and sisters in Christ to see the depths of the sin inside of their own hearts as well. So it's both internal and external as well. But first, the first thing that we have to do before we get there is we have to know our own hearts, and we have to know the good parts of it and the bad parts of it. We have to be able to ask the right questions in order to unlock our hearts, and then we have to be willing to confess the sin that we find there and repent of everything that is not in line with who Jesus has made us to be. And then we must know the nature of the hearts. After that, we must know the nature of the hearts of people that we love. Loving correction, counseling, binds us together as the body of Christ. And so I'm going to move now into my three kind of main points, and then I'm going to give you an example of how to do some of this deep, difficult heart work in yourself. The first verse that we're going to look at is Proverbs 4.23. This is written in ESV, in your version um, of Scripture that you might be reading those first words might be different. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The version that I memorized as a child was, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So what, which is it? Do we guard our heart or do we keep our heart? Well, I'm not really a scholar, but I do have the internet, and BibleHub.com is really helpful. It's got a concordance in there, and it tells you what all the words mean. And, and it means both. 
guard, to keep, to tend your heart. There's more, when you, when you, if it says guard your heart, I think that's the dangerous translation because it makes it feel like you're supposed to wall yourself in and not give anybody access. But rather, keep your heart with all diligence. Uh, it's, 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 this is, the heart matters to God. That's what it's saying. Is it your, your heart matters in you and it matters to God. How well you keep your heart is important and it is worth your time. And, and in the NIV it says, above all else, guard your heart. Like this is a very important, very strong uh, a phrase that he's saying. So things that are guarded and kept are valuable. Things that are guarded and kept well are, are oftentimes fragile and, and they require tending. Okay? And so and, and then the second half of the verse, where from it flow the springs of life, you can't hide your heart. You actually cannot guard your heart and not show anybody your heart. What the scripture is revealing to us is that every day and every decision that we make, and, and especially when we lash out or, or, we, or we see our sin crop up, that's, that's something bad inside your heart coming out. It's spilling out like, like a spring. Like your heart is old faithful, okay? It keeps on ticking and it keeps on spewing out every hour. It's going to erupt and it's going to get on the people around you, Okay? And so we can't hide our hearts as much as we want this decision to be a personal one. It's, our hearts are regularly rushing out onto the people around us. And so this goal, the goal of this verse is not to plug up the well, but to make steps to make sure that we're not spreading poison. What's inside you will come out. Will people see Jesus? next point is, is figuring out what is the status of our hearts. And there are, there are two statuses that you can have. You can have a heart that is without Christ, and you can have a heart that is inhabited by Christ. So let's, let's look at the bad news first. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Your heart, left to your own devices without Christ, is a liar and is poisoned. It will deceive you, it will pull you down, and it will make you chase your own desires to the destruction of yourself and the people around you. It is desperately sick. That's the bad news. Jeremiah himself promises a new heart and a new covenant in chapter 31, but we're going to look at how Ezekiel explains it in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. This is a new covenant heart, and he says, and I will give you a new heart 
And a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. That's great news for somebody who is just told that their heart is a liar and sick and poisonous. Right? That should be absolutely excellent news to us. And so, and so what does it look like? Now we've, got this, now we've got this problem because Ezekiel makes it sound like our hearts are so great and so pure and so filled with the Holy Spirit that we're never going to sin again. And we all know that's not true, right? Like we are very broken, desperate people and, and, and even though we have the hope of Christ and the redemption of Christ inside of us, there is still a sin problem there. So what, how does that look like? Hold on tight because I'm going to read really fast, okay? This is Romans 7, starting in verse 15. I'm going to take a sip of water here. This is Paul writing. He says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, and that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be a law that I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my member. Wretched man am I who will deliver me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Paul is doing the hard work. Paul's doing the hard work. As a side note, it's really helpful to read over chapter markers sometimes without a pause. Because this was a letter written. Paul didn't write Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now a condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This internal struggle, struggle that we have with our sin is, is, is just the status that we have in this life. And so what Paul is doing, the hard work that Paul is doing is he's asking the question, why do I do what I do? Why? 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 Why do I do it? He's striving to become more like Jesus and, 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 and striving to become more like the redeemed and promised version of himself. And he's revealing to us this status of now and not yet. We are now 
saved, if you're a believer this morning, if you believe that Jesus came and he died in your place, that he took the punishment of your sin, that he died, he was buried for three days, and he was resurrected again on the third day, and, and if you believe that, and if you have confessed your sin to him, and he has taken that sin upon himself and killed it with his death, then you are now a child of God adopted into his family, and yet... You are now that, and yet, you still have to deal daily with sin. If you are a believer, you are now redeemed. You are now purified, but you are not yet perfected. Therefore, walking with a new covenant heart means choosing to live out the truth of your redemption in Christ, but not expect it to go perfectly. Not until Christ returns. So how do we do it? How do we do what Paul just did and walk through his actions, his intentions, everything that was inside of his heart, and become mature believers. You kind of have to become a detective. I think that's the best way I've come up with in order to, to explain this. And, and when a detective is trying to convict someone, um, they, they look for three things. They look for the means, they look for the evidence, and they look for motive, okay? So let's, let's look at the means first, all right? Um, well, because of Jeremiah 17, 9, which we already read, we know that we have the capacity for great sin, right? Um, and, and, and we know that our hearts have the capacity to, to be desperately sick and evil and wicked. We have that capacity inside of us, and yet for the grace of God, there go I, right? Be because of Christ's redeeming work in my life, I can look at my life through the lens of what would have happened to me without Jesus what would have happened to me if I, when I was five years old and my kindergarten teacher presented the gospel, I hadn't responded? I, I don't really truly know who I would have become, but he wouldn't have been very nice. I know that. Uh, he, he probably would have been a jerk, and he probably would have absolutely ruined his own life and the lives of many people around him. Okay, So, so I have the capacity for, for great sin, and, and Jesus actually gives us even worse news, right? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks, like, looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in her heart. Well, he says the same thing with murder. If you've looked at your brother with hate in your heart, then you have committed murder in your heart. So do we have the means to, to have terrible, terrible sin inside of us. Yes. Yeah, absolutely we do. Okay, so a detective means means, he needs evidence, and he needs motive. Okay, what about evidence? Okay, if you're married in this room, just lean over to your spouse and say, hon, I need a little help here. Is there evidence of sin in my life? Let me know how it goes after. <laughs> if you think you're perfect, you're a fool. If you need help identifying areas of sin in your life, just ask somebody who's close to you for help with that. And if you're really serious, if you're really serious about being transformed into the likeness of Christ, then ask 
somebody very close to you to identify sin in your life that you might be blind to. And then finally, ask God to reveal your sin to you. By the way, I've never done that and had him answer no. The one prayer that I have prayed that God always answers yes is, Lord, would you reveal my sin to me? He always makes it known. It's a very dangerous prayer, but it's one that a mature believer asks. It's a prayer that that somebody who wants to be like Jesus is praying regularly. They don't run away from it because they're afraid of being uncomfortable. They run towards it because they want to become more like Christ. So a detective needs means, evidence, and motive. That's the booger. That's the hard one. Identifying and confessing and repenting of the sin in your life is the start of spiritual maturity. And the nature of sin is that the sin that you can see, the sin that exposes itself, the sin that spills out of old faithful onto everybody else, out of the spring of life that you just keep gushing out, that is just the tip of the iceberg. Sin that is seen and recognized is on the outer layer of the heart where the spring is spilling out. So with each step closer to the heart, we see deeper motivation. And with each deeper motivation, we see deeper sin. So I brought something. I may or may not have raided the children's ministry. Had a little arts and crafts time to help this out. Now... It looks a little bit more like a porcupine than I wanted it to. But if you'll notice, there's actually a couple couple gates here, a couple fences, and a couple different rows of fences before we get to the middle of the heart. And so I want to do a little bit of of practical life lessons, a, a, a practical spiritual rhythm with this pretend heart here in order to show you what this might look like in your life, okay? And, and like I said earlier, like, just like we're a detective, you, you have to ask the question, why, a lot. And so, in this instance, let's pretend that I have lashed out ever at my children. I've lashed out at my children a lot before, right? That seems like a pretty low-level sin. It's not murder, right? Everybody does it. You get frustrated and you lash out at your kids, right? Okay, so let's start with something very simple like that. Okay, so if we're asking the question why, why did I lash out at my kids? Maybe I I, I did have a stressful day. That dude did cut me off on the interstate, and that made me really mad. I got caught on Facebook. My boss, I was in a meeting. That was embarrassing. Embarrassed in front of my friends. There's all these external motivations. What was this happening inside of me? What was the motivation? What was the the frustration before the action? Frustration. Ooh. The outer layer is that I lashed out at my kids. 
but really what that exposed is that I'm angry. So not only am I confessing to God and confessing to my children that I have lashed out at them unjustly and that I was frustrated. Frustrated is just a gentle word that means I was angry. It doesn't matter the why you were angry. It matters that the sin of anger was rooted in my heart and I had to uproot it. So I'm confessing that I lashed out to my children. I'm confessing and repenting of anger that I gave permission to control me. Okay, so why was I angry? All those external things. Why, why anger? Why would I believe that anger would feel good in that moment? Maybe it could be that I've put on a fake face all day. I've told a lot of people that I'm fine when I'm not. Maybe I'm trying to redirect somebody else's anger towards me onto somebody else. Ever done that? Maybe I'm scared that I'm unlovable. Ooh. It's a big one. I'm scared that I'm unlovable. I'm scared that the, the anger and the other evidences of sin that I've seen in my life make me unworthy of love. That's a deep one. That's a deep one. But we're not done. So now I'm not just confessing to my children that I lashed out at them. I'm not just confessing that I was angry, but I'm also confessing that I was afraid and, and, and that I was afraid that I was not worthy of love. And, and now I, I not, not only have to confess that and repent of those things, but I also have to preach to myself a little bit and remind myself that God's truth is that I've been, I'm worth loving so much so that he would slaughter his own son to buy me back. He's removed the punishment for my sin because he sees me as valuable. And so, so okay, but where, where do we go? We're not quite to the center. How, what more is there? Okay, the question is, why are you afraid that you are not worth being loved? It's because I don't believe that God would really love me if he really knew me. Ultimately, that's what I'm afraid of when I'm feeling unloved. I don't believe that if God really knew me, that he would really love me. And that is just a pretty version of unbelief. It doesn't matter what route you take to get to your heart. What's in the middle is unbelief. There's something about the nature of God. There's something about the truth of God's word that he has said to you that you are choosing in the moment not to believe. So let's work our way backwards in confessing some of these sins, okay? Let's, let's work our way backwards. I'm taking this unbelief. I'm choosing to believe the truth that God 
knows me fully, every single part of my capacity for sin. He, he knows all of my evil intentions, and he knows all of the good in me, and he is choosing to love me, and I'm, and I'm choosing to believe that. And I'm choosing to believe what Romans 8.1 says, that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, so I'm, I'm deeply loved by God because I am in Christ and I'm seated in the heavenly places and I'm, I'm crushing this, this unbelief that cropped itself up when I lashed out at my children. Band, y'all can come on up. And, and then I'm, I'm taking that, that fear that I felt, that, that untruth that I am not worth being loved, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess and repent and, and break that in the name of Jesus and say, Lord, I, I know that you have loved me because, because you've, you saw it fit to kill your son in my place. And I'm, I'm taking the fear that I felt, and in Jesus' name, I'm, I'm confessing that I was afraid and I'm, I'm breaking that in the name of Jesus. I lay it at the feet of, the, of Jesus at the cross. And I'm, I'm taking my anger. That's a big one. I can eat three. Taking my anger. Just, Lord, I'm, I'm open hands. I, I'm open hands with my anger, Lord. I, I need help with it. And I know it's rooted in deeper things. I know it's ultimately rooted in that unbelief. And I'm, I'm giving it to you, okay? And so I'm confessing that to you now. And, and Lord, I lashed out at my kids. Help me to be a better father. Help me to restore those relationships. Help me to guide them in truth in your righteousness. Because Lord, I, I, really, I really need you. I really, really do. That's not easy to do by yourself. Now, it's, it's possible to do by yourself. But as you grow in maturity, you can do that by yourself. But it's not how Christ has designed the church to operate. You really need somebody else to help you walk through all of those gates and unlock the things that are broken inside of yourself and help you uncover the hidden sins inside of your heart. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you know what? I, I've never heard anybody talk about just how wicked I am on the inside. And I, I resonate with that. And I don't know if I've got a good way of dealing with that. This whole relationship with Jesus thing, this whole Jesus dying on the cross, I, I've never gone there before. So if that's you this morning, I mean, today is the day to get this right with Christ. Because he can, he can give you a heart of flesh. He can put his spirit in you. And he can restore you and give you all of the tools that you need in order to have an abundant life with him. All it takes is for you to recognize your sin. Recognize that the Old Testament was right. We're really messed up. Recognize that the New Testament was right too. Jesus came and he died in your place so that you can have a relationship with him. Put your faith in Jesus and ask him to purify you. That's the other thing that he always says yes to.
Maybe you've been coasting a little bit in your life. You've been looking for the things that are comfortable and looking for the things that are easy. And you recognize, you know what? I didn't believe that there was more to my walk with Jesus. It's time to confess that to him. It's time to confess that he, you had a smaller view of God than he actually has of himself. So let's, let's sing now together. Let's worship him in spirit and in truth. Whatever God is doing inside of your heart, ask yourself the question, whose heart really is this? And come and place it on the altar before him. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need. 
Father, forgive us. Forgive us of trying to do things on our own. Lord, only you know the heart. And only you know how to repair and to restore it. And only you can give us a heart of flesh and put your spirit inside of us. And so God, we now lay our lives, everything that we are, from the tops of our heads to our hearts, to our feet, our hands, our mouths, Lord, we lay them now at the foot of the cross. We say, Jesus, we want to be used by you. We want to be transformed by you. We want to be purified by you. So, Father, we pray that you would conform us into your will. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.